3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am. Joining me this morning is Grace and Rob. How good morning, are you, Rob? Chris. Good, good morning. thanks. How are you? I'm good. How was your weekend? Weekend was very good. Pretty, pretty relaxed, pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty uh, happy to catch um, Polaris at Margaret Court Arena, which is a pretty big deal for um, any metalheads listening. It's their first like headline arena show. Oh, wow. Um, and for a little metal act, not a little metal act, but a, a metal act out of Sydney, it's pretty big, pretty mm, big. Amazing. How was your weekend? It was really chill. I was just doing my own thing, leisuring around. I feel like after my vacation with my cousin, I just didn't mm. really have anything to do. Yeah. But um, I was also just really trying to save money because I, I spent too much the week before. But yeah, yeah. it was just... Going well, just doing my own, own little thing as usual. Yeah. Um, I noticed the sun was out earlier this morning. Have you? Did you notice that? The sound. The 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 sun. Yes. 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 I yes. woke I woke up and I was like, it's a pretty bright already. It's only six yeah. a.m. Yeah. It's sort of like catching up on this these early mornings, these early rises, which I'm not, not too mad about to be honest. Like it's nice to be have the sun yeah that's true you know before we start our radio and before i start work Mm -hmm. just makes it just that little bit easier to get out of bed early in the morning Mm -hmm. yeah and also i love that summer is i'm not summer yeah spring is pretty much already here um i I think it'll be around 17 degrees later in the day which i'm glad it's gonna be because i don't like winter i'll be honest (laughs) i really be honest with you i don't like winter especially melbourne's winter yeah uh, i mean i just i just i'm not used to the cold really Mm. so i don't think i have i've grown better in accustoming to it but i guess at the moment i i still prefer summer it's hard to get used to it yeah it's really hard to get used to it Mm -hmm. so what we got for this morning i mean for the whole show today so, um, I've got two interviews coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. The first uh, will be happening shortly um, with Jen um, from the Sydney Road Accessible Tram campaign. Um, they're yep. hosting a rally later in the week. Um, so, we're just going to be talking about uh, their lived experience of what, what it's like access- accessing trams and basically like why progress hasn't been made and... All of that. Um, and then I've got another interview with um, a, a collective called the Bad Art Collective, which basically has been forced out of their building by a uh, landlord and uh, a couple of weeks back were f- basically just forced to vacate the building they were in into the one next door and now have basically had to restart their whole uh, situation of 
you know, paying rent and coming up with sums of money while mm. basically just trying to host a local communal space for people to just make art and hang out. That's amazing. Well, and then coming up from me uh, towards the end of the show, uh, I'm going to be speaking to Pilar Aguilera, who is our Tricia chairperson and also a longtime Chilean activist. We're going to be speaking about Chile in 1973, which marks the 50th year anniversary uh, as of starting from today. Uh, to commemorate the 50 years since the civil military coup of the US-backed coup d'état in Chile. This year marks 50 years since the overthrow of the democratically elected popular government in Chile by a violent military coup backed by the US United States administration, which killed President Salvador Allende and imposed a repressive government. So yeah, we're going to be looking into that today. Sounds later. like a really good yep. interview. Really important. Yep, and there's also going to be an event... Uh, happening uh tonight oh yep at 6 p.m so for listeners who are unable to tune into our chat later uh please do try to attend if you could the event to commemorate this chiller 50 years of solidarity and struggle at 6 p.m at solidarity hall trade hall at 54 victoria street carlton so yeah great awesome, awesome. so let's get into our headlines as well yep do you want to start off, Rob? Yeah, I'll start off. Um, I've got some just some breaking news. First up, um, Luis Rubiales has resigned as president of the Spanish Football Federation following his unsolicited kiss of Spanish striker Jenny Hermoso at the Women's World Cup final. Um, Hermoso filed a legal complaint against Rubiales on Tuesday after the kiss, uh, but the 46-year-old has also stepped down from his position as vice president of UEFA's executive board. He says his hope. He hopes his resignation will bolster Spain's chances of hosting the 2030 World Cup with Portugal and Morocco. An asylum seeker has been granted permanent residency during a 1,000-kilometer walk from Ballarat to Sydney. Neil Para and his family received the news as Neil walked to raise awareness for the thousands of families stuck in limbo while waiting for permanent residency. The family has been living in Ballarat for nine years without a right to work or study after fleeing civil war in Sri Lanka in 2008. Awesome. And all the way coming, coming all the way from international news, going all the way to international news... China has been receiving backlash for their good-for-marriage women's trend. A social media debate has erupted in China among a trend in regards to this good-for-marriage trend for, among, for women to dress and behave in a way and, says is, and this says is discouraging independence, according to The Guardian. China, like much, like much of East Asia, is battling with a democratic, demographic crisis and young people Increasingly choosing as they increasingly choose to forego marriage and children. Last year, China officially recorded its first decline in population for more than 60 years. 
So as society grapples with government and entreaties to build family and rising living and child-rearing costs, some female influencers have driven an online trend focusing on making themselves more attractive to potential husbands. So this was an example of the pastel makeup and modest clothing that are the hallmark of good for marriage style, which is based on Brilliant Girls, which is a 2021 drama that centers around a woman who wants to get married as quickly as possible. Promotional social media post by one of its stars, Yi Song, offered a good-for-marriage styling suggestions which has drew some controversy. And according to a Japanese organization, the Women's Action Network, the trend has also roots in Japanese fashion culture. So yeah, the way uh, Weibo, which is a Chinese online social media platform, mm. have attacked the trend under a hashtag, Sural to be your wife is not a compliment. It's offensive, which has drawn tens of millions of engagement. So uh, wow. according to the, according to the Guardian, and I think I also have another news. Oh no, yeah, that's all for me. That's it. <laughs> all good. Awesome. You're listening to Three CI Five Five AM. Stay tuned. <laughs> The Seamen's Union and the Waterside Workers Federation took part in the longest boycott in Australian history after Finochet took over in Chile. A democratically elected government was overthrown with the help of the United States. There are many Chileans in Australia who suffered torture, imprisonment and whose family members have been disappeared. We can't move forward as a society without healing these past crimes. The Chilean community, in partnership with the AMWU's International Solidarity Initiative, is holding a commemorative event for the 50th anniversary of Chile's coup, September 11, the day that changed us forever. Join generations of Chilean refugees, exiles and recent arrivals, together with Australian unionists and activists in the solidarity movement for a night of testimonies, speakers, poetry and music on Monday, September 11 from 6pm at Solidarity Hall at the Victorian Trades Hall. This event will be held in English and all are welcome. To register, search for Chile 50 Years on eventbrite.com.au. Chile, 50 years of solidarity and struggle. A 3CR supporter. Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Because the Palestinian fight isn't just the Palestinians' fight, it's all our fight, because it's a fight not just about land, it's about a fight for freedom. Everybody should be standing here today saying, free Palestine. Solidarity with our Palestinian brothers and sisters on behalf of the Bumbanja Nation, my people who've never ceded their sovereignty. We should be recognising Palestine as a state and recognising the rights of Palestinians. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. You might have heard about the Community Radio Plus app, but it's only when you start using it that you'll wonder how you lived without it. You can listen to us wherever you are, at home, 
work, driving, on public transport, gardening, protesting, or even in the bath. Just search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your app. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. We are now going to move to talk to Jen Hargrave from the Sun- Sydney Road Accessible Trams Stop campaign. The campaign is hosting a rally this Sunday on the corner of Wilson Avenue and Sydney Road. Jen, are you there? I am, Rob. Good morning. Hi. Um, Jen, can you first off just give our listeners some context about what the issue is with tram stops on Sydney Road? Yeah, for sure. So, under federal legislation, public transport across all states and territories in Australia was actually required to be accessible by the end of last year. Mm. But as you can clearly see, it's not. Uh, about uh, the 75% of um, Melbourne's tram network is not accessible. Um, wow. There are actually no accessible tram stops on Sydney Road between Brunswick Road and Baker's Road up in Coburg North, which is a 5.5-kilometre stretch. And Victorians with disabilities have started a petition to the Legislative Assembly to get the government to install the accessible tram stops that they're legally required to. Mm. Um, And obviously, an alternative to trams can be trains, but the issue that's really pressing for us is that when the upfield train lines close to remove the level crossings and build the sky rail, there'll be absolutely no accessible tram stop along this, uh, no accessible public transport along this corridor. Wow. Yeah. Right. And um, what do you, you were mentioning before about um, a sort of deadline being missed last year. What yeah. do you think happened for that to be missed and why? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I don't have a lot of insight into political decisions around that. I do know that um, it was really clear that that deadline was coming. Mm. And in fact, um, Victorians have been pushing for accessible transport for 40 years in concerted campaigns. Wow. And um, there's disability discrimination legislation and the Victorian government keeps seeking exemptions from that. Yeah. Um, But now we've got this national law in place. Um, It's time for them to start meeting their obligations. The, The cost of putting in the accessible tram stops is just like, you know minute compared to the cost of the SkyRail project. Yeah. Um, and when we think of the economic inclusion that creates for people with disabilities to be able to go to work and be part of the community, of course also people who are shopping with shopping trolleys, kids with prams, kids in prams, older people, all of that, yeah. Mm. Right. And the, the, first, uh, the campaign's first community rally back in July gained a pretty substantial amount of traction in the media. Do you think... That has helped to pressure politicians to create change? It's definitely part of it. It is. Um, we got a huge reaction to our media and a really big turn up at the rally, which was fantastic. Um, the other thing that we're doing is building up a petition, as I mentioned, um, and we're, we're expecting that to make a really big impact. So if people are looking for the petition, um, if they hop onto the web and search for Sydney Road Accessible Tram Stop Campaign on Facebook, you can find the link to find the petition. Even if you're not actually logged in to Facebook, if you're not a Facebook user, you'll be fine to to get to that information on that page. And there you can also see um, 
the way to endorse the campaign if you belong to any kind of community group or um, organisation. We'd love to see you join, um, endorse the campaign. And we've actually got endorsements from all the relevant political parties here in this area. Socialists, ALP and the Greens, of all members of those parties, have all endorsed the campaign. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, I also saw that you had, um, was it in the lead-up to this rally or the one before that you had meetings with several MPs? Yeah, members of the team, including Christian Astorian, who was one of the people to instigate this campaign, who's um, a local advocate, they've met with MPs, that's right. And um, it's really upsetting, actually. They were told that as an alternative to public transport that people with disabilities could use taxis um, and that really upsets me <laughs> because um, we have a right to use public services and not be shut away uh, stuck in traffic jams with inexpensive ride shares and taxis. Yeah. Um, the other thing is those um, services often refuse people with disabilities yeah. um, and there's long waiting times for them as well. Um, yeah. The other thing we've been told is that um, maybe that there could be more buses in the area um, but we know there's a shortage of buses and bus drivers while all this rail work's going on around the state. Mm. Um, and again, when when we spoke about that in our campaign meeting, so many people raised issues with buses not stopping for them and not being accessible. And I myself have got a vision impairment and I know uh, being able to hail a bus is, is actually impossible for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I mean, to be offered, like taxis instead of public transport is a bit upsetting um i i have a friend who is in a wheelchair and just being out and about in the city with her and and experiencing what it's like trying to get a a taxi um all of the time is just it's just not realistic yeah you're spot on you're spot on um I want to just move on to talk about um, the rally on Sunday will launch Australia's inaugural inaugural Transport Equity Week. What does that entail? Ah, Transport Equity Week. Yeah, it's going to be big and um, we're really pleased to be part of the calendar for that. Um, We're aware that the rally is also on at the same time as the Rally for the Voice in the CBD. Mm. So... um, our rally is going to start kicking off at one, but if you wanted to get to the voice rally first, I reckon if you made it up to Sydney Road by one thirty, you'd be fine. Um, and, yeah, we've got support from local bike users, associations, wow. um, Friends of the Earth, um, 3CR. Um, it's terrific to be in the calendars for all those organisations. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Jen, um, if it's okay, I just wanted to ask... Um, for your experience as a person with a vision impairment, uh, impairment who lives near the upfield line, what is it yeah. like trying to use a tram uh, for you? Yeah, look, you know the way urban planning's been developed. We've got these massive housing corridor developments now along our public transport routes. So mm. the idea is we're supposed to have public transport. Um, when I'm trying to use the tram for work, I might have to wait three you know, for three trams to go past before there's room for me to try and get on. Wow. It's actually really quite scary yep. with that big crush of people. Um, and then when you're on there, <laughs> um, you will have 
seen how rocky it is and how tricky it is to find something to hold on to. So I've had some falls. Wow. Um, yeah, and I know for many people with blindness and vision impairment, the train actually feels much safer. Yep. Um, and, of course, it's, it's taking some of that population and moving it as well. So um, I, I really can't imagine how, how hard it's going to be when the train isn't working. Um, mm. And that's why we're asking for the trams to be fixed before the train work commences. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. Um, um, and like you would have seen with your friends, um, I've got so many colleagues and friends who are, um, have mobility impairments. Mm. And, um, you know, if we're waiting to get to an important um, appointment for work, we're standing there watching while three or four or five um, inaccessible trams go past. Yeah. You know, even if we're at an accessible tram stop. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but it really, it really wouldn't take much in terms of the state budget to get it done yeah 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 and obviously it's it's essential you know like it's it shouldn't even be a question um more generally speaking jen what else would you like to see in terms of accessibility around um the state um look i think this is a key thing it'd be great to you know in terms of um other issues would be great in terms of the housing, the social housing bills to get some really good facts around how much of that housing is going to be accessible. Mm. But um, yeah, look, I think I think thinking about transport, this is actually um, part of action happening all across Australia to say, you know, if we have public services, they should be fit for the public. I know there's a legal case building about buses in Ryde in New South Wales. Mm. Um, lots of action happening. Um, in South Australia, um, and I believe in Queensland too, and Tasmania. So, um, and and also, um, you know, community with disabilities are constantly raising discrimination in taxis and ride shares like Ubers. Mm. Um, and I I think it's a little insulting when we're told we need to be bringing the costs of the NDIS down um, when some of those costs are about simply getting us to work and moving us around yeah. to see our family and friends. Um, it, it seems way more cost efficient to be making our public transport and transport infrastructure accessible. Yeah, sure. Okay, Jen, um, I'm just going to start to wrap up, but um, yeah. how can people get involved in the campaign? Thanks, Rob. Yeah, well, firstly, signing the petition. It closes on the 10th of November. We'd love to see as many names on there as possible. Mm. Um, come to the rally Sunday, 17th of September, as you said, corner of Wilson Avenue and Sydney Road. So that's just between the Barclay Square Shopping Centre and the Jewel Train Station. Or endorse the campaign, uh, particularly if you're part of a community group or a organisation. And so search the web for Sydney Road Accessible Tram Stops Campaign Facebook and you'll find the links to all those things. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Jen. Thanks so much, Rob. Have a good day. Bye. That was Jen from the Sydney Road Accessible Tram Stops campaign speaking to us about their upcoming rally this Sunday at 1pm of on the corner of Wilson Avenue and Sydney Road. Um, as Jen said, they have a petition which you can sign and also uh, an event for the rally on Facebook, uh, both of which can be found in our show notes. That's amazing, Rob. We're going to be heading into a song now. This is Guron 
In My Life by Kellek. Gangat pasini kamap nau Luka tim gud mama grandlau Papa God you been giving peace Blessing is the long all get out No can I remall piri stop top Look at him good rights long you need Not developing country long you need But you need come up long behind time We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps.
You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. And that song before was called Giron Im Alif by Telek. And we have James now with us. Morning, James. James is here. James is ready to go. Awesome. Um, Next up, we have an interview that I did last week with the CEO of the Australian Sports Foundation, Patrick Walker, on the fact that about 50% of athletes in Australia are living in poverty or below the poverty line. Uh, right now. So that's an interview we did last week, and I think it's a good chat. Let's get to it. All right, Patrick, thank you for coming to the Sporting Record today. It's great to speak with you, James. So some research recently uncovered that there are quite a lot of funding and cost-of-living pressures on athletes in this country at the moment. Uh, What brought this research project about? We wanted to check in on our representative athletes and see how they're doing, uh, both financial and in terms of other support, You know, we're at the start of a very exciting decade. We've got Brisbane 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games coming up at the end and a lot of major events happening in Australia. So we wanted to check in really on the financial and mental health of our athletes. Fantastic. So in this uh, research, uh, cost of living and funding pressures were quite pronounced as it stands at the moment. What sort of pressures are there on athletes right now? Well, they're pretty severe. Of course, look, we're all all facing the cost of living crisis. The thing that really jumps out of this research is that around half of our representative athletes, and we're talking here about the athletes who compete at Olympic and Paralympic Games and Commonwealth Games, uh, are earning less than $23,000 a year. Now, that's a level that puts them below the poverty line. Uh, And set against that uh, level of earnings, they've got a lot of -of out-of-pocket costs. So, you know, mm. travel, accommodation, travel to, to competitions and meets, nutrition, physiotherapy and medical costs. So not only is their income low and uh, uh, volatile, their costs are increasing and it's really a financial squeeze they're facing. Mm, it does. And I'm sure given that how much dedication and time needs to be put into their events or their sports, that there's not much opportunity to get extra income on the side as well. That's right. These figures, by the way, are income they get from all sources, not just their athletics, but if they are able to hold down, you know, a part-time job. And and the reality is that uh, many of the athletes are being supported by their families. So, Mm. you know, the good old bank of mum and dad is is footing the bill. And what that raises is a concern that, uh, okay, if you're a talented athlete and you come from a, a, a middle or high income family, you've got the opportunity to fulfill your potential. But what about those who come from lower income families who probably be lost to the sport? And I think that's that's a concern for the nation as a whole. There would be incredible potential out there that just wouldn't have enough support to get to the elite levels, I'm sure. Absolutely. And that's what really what this sort of survey is, is shining a light on. Uh, and it's a concern that we will either not not secure those talented athletes from lower-income families or they'll be lost to their sports. Mm. So in addition to financial stress, what often happens from what the research says and other things I've been reading, that it often leads to a lot of other mental health burdens, in particular on athletes. Uh, Did the research come up with much about that? Yeah, it certainly did. I mean, um, a a very shocking statistic that leapt out was that 28% of the athletes uh, had measured a worsening in their mental health this year. Wow. And I think we've got to remember that being an athlete is a a tough gig. Uh, You know, you've always got the pressure of your next meet, gaining enough points to qualify for a particular event, the financial insecurity that we've talked about. 
the guilt of uh, putting such a burden on your families as well. So mm. we have a significant and increasing mental health concern among our elite athletes here, which also needs to be uh, thought about, I think. Definitely, definitely. Um, in the media release, there were a number of funding needs identified by the ASF. Uh, what can you tell me about those? Well, we asked the athletes what they felt their funding priorities should be uh, coming through to Brisbane 2032. Um, and really, you know, there was a clear feeling that more initiatives to keep teenagers in sports, some of the issues that I've, I've, I've talked about here, remembering it's our teenagers who are going to be representing the nation at Brisbane in 2032, mm. um, more investment and funding for pathway athletes and for current athletes, talent identification programs, uh, and expanding school programs to, to talk about bringing in the next generation. So there were a whole range of issues they felt funding should be uh, should be applied to. Oh, fantastic. So what kind of formal supports are in place at the moment to support athletes who might be under pressure at the moment? Well, that's really where the ASF steps in, and that's what we're trying to do off the back of this, um, of this survey. Uh, we run a fundraising platform that enables people who love sport, members of the local community of specific athletes and the philanthropic community to make tax-deductible donations to support the athlete of their choice. We've already got uh, hundreds of athletes uh, on our platform and we're hoping as a result of this uh, survey, we're going to get a lot more athletes there. So we're trying to bring in new private and philanthropic money to help fill the gap. Mm, Fantastic. That sounds like a wonderful initiative. Outside of the Bank of Mum and Dad, you touched on a few different sources of potential uh, fundraising and income and revenue raising that can support these athletes. What sort of different streams come to mind? Well, obviously, there are. there's definitely some um, grants available from state and national um, academies and institutes of sport, and, and certainly athletes who can reach that level uh, will be gaining those. There's some support available from national and state sporting organizations as well. And then you really, uh, aside from our fundraising platform, you're looking at maybe some local sponsors. uh, And as I've said, family support. The the avenues for funding are fairly limited uh, unless an athlete then tries to hold down a part-time job as well as training and competing at the highest level. Mm. One particular one that really caught my eye is the potential of philanthropy, like you mentioned, to really help uh, bridge this gap, I suppose you could call it. how does philanthropy fit into the picture and what's the, uh, what's the big sell to potential philanthropists? The big sell, I think, is that sport plays a, a fundamental part in Australian life. We all experienced the joy recently with the performance of the Matildas in the, in the FIFA Women's World Cup. And the, the Olympic and Paralympic Games and the Commonwealth Games can have a similar impact on the nation. But we're not going to achieve that if the athletes aren't able to give of their best. Uh, and a lot of athletes potentially quit their sport. So a model that works very well in the arts sector is um, philanthropists acting as patrons to support emerging and aspiring and talented artists. And we think that kind of model can really work well in a sporting context Mm. because you're not only helping the individual athlete, but you're also helping the wider community who care about sport. Yeah, fantastic. I like the uh, link to the arts sector. I've, I've always have held the view that sport is an art form itself. It's a kinetic art form, and it can really enrich our lives in so many ways that often aren't really talked about. So that's great to hear. I f- uh, look, I fully agree with you. I think they fill a, si- a similar role in our communities. You know, 
people who participate in the arts. And when I was young, I was singing in the choir and acting mm. on the stage. You know, that was uh, great for building my resilience, my life skills, building my confidence. And it was just important to me as, as playing football and rugby and cricket, which were the other ways that I, I kind of socialized and built my life as a young person. So I think the arts and sport for a similar role. Uh, but philanthropy at the moment is contributing far more into the arts than it is to sport. And, and we'd like to change that, not by taking from the arts, but by giving philanthropy the opportunity to contribute to sport. Yeah, in the release, it said that if philanthropy did fill some of the gap, uh, it could even potentially double the funding into sport by Brisbane 2032. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We think the, you know, we were raising for sport the same amount of philanthropic funds as are raised for the arts. That's a level of $350 million a year. Wow. And that would really go a long way to filling the gap that we see currently, um, you know, in, in funding at community sport and for our emerging and aspiring athletes. Fantastic. I might change a little uh, little tack here. You mentioned the World Cup and how galvanizing for the nation it was. You've been the CEO of the ASF for well, since 2014, I believe. In your time, you know, really in, at the heart of the sport sector in this country, was there anything parallel to the World Cup's success, do you think? I don't, in my time in the sporting sector, there's been nothing that's gripped the nation so completely. Um, mm. Now, I'm told, and I wasn't over here at the time, but I'm told that the Sydney Olympics had a similar effect where really the whole... The whole nation was engaged and the whole nation was sharing in the in the success in the Kathy Freeman moment and the other moments. And I think that that's, that's probably the nearest comparator. But certainly in my time engaged in sport here in Australia, um, the, the FIFA Women's World Cup was unique. It was incredible experience to be part of. Mm, and I just, I just dream about how many more Sam Kerr's could come into the fold given this event and potential funding that could come into it afterwards. We saw the government kick in an extra, I think it was $200 million into women's sports, and hopefully the bandwagon keeps moving. That's right, and you just need to, you know, my, my, my sport, James, is still playing soccer at my ripe old age, but mm. I, when I go to the ovals on a Sunday morning to play, you know, on adjoining ovals, there's under-11s girls, under-13s, 15s, and, and over-35s women as well. It's fantastic to see the female participation in soccer. It really is fantastic. Uh, the Paris Olympics are just around the corner. Uh, in the lead-up to that Olympics, I'm sure there's a fair bit of funding opportunities or needs in the sporting community. Uh, what can you tell me about the roadmap and how people could get involved to support athletes on their journey there? Well, once again, there is definitely a need, and I think there's, a, there's an immediate way to help there. Again, jumping on our website, looking at the athlete section, the individual athlete section, even just searching Paris Olympics 2024, you'll see tens if not hundreds of aspiring athletes who are seeking to raise funds to help their journey to Paris. And I'd say to anybody listening, look for an athlete from the sport that you love. Look for an athlete from your local community or who used to go to your junior school or whatever it might be and chip in a little bit to help them on their journey. You'll feel great when they get to Paris and represent the nation. Mm, I'm looking forward to the Olympics. Um, and I it's guess... It's amazing. It's going to be amazing. I mean, I just watched the World Athletics Championships and I was absolutely gripped by the show that Budapest put on. And I can only dream about the uh, the Olympics coming around the corner. Yeah, it was just outstanding. And again, Australia did, did very well in track and field, which has not historically been a great strength. So it's really exciting to see that talent emerging. 
Fantastic. Now, thanks for your time, Patrick. I really appreciate it. And just for the listeners at home, if they would like to support an athlete or support the ASF in their work, how can they get involved? Just jump on our website, asf.org.au, and search for those athletes you want to support. If you'd like to chat with us about helping more broadly, whether it's at community sport level or, or our emerging athletes, um, get in touch with us on the info line on that website. and We'd love to have a chat. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Patrick. It's been wonderful. Thanks, James. Great to speak with you. That was Patrick Walker, CEO of the Australian Sports Foundation. And for any more information, like Patrick said, just simply jump to asf.org.au and you'll find all the different prompts on how to fundraise, finding fundraising projects and so on. And we're going to go into a song. This is called Letting Go by Angie McMahon.
Hi everybody, welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. That was Letting Go by Angie McMahon. Um, I'm here with Nina and Quinny from the Bad Art Collective on Bridge Road. Uh, The collective has been recently ousted from their previous space after a long fight to keep it open for local artists and community alike who want to enjoy art. Two weeks ago, the collective was given very short notice to vacate the premises and move elsewhere. They are now located in the building, quite literally next door, once again trying to figure out how to maintain this communal art space while navigating rent. Nina, what can you tell us about the space you've created? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having us. Um, okay. This came at the best time for us because <laughs> literally the last the last couple of weeks, month has been pretty chaotic. But <laughs> the, uh, the space that we created is a working artist studio and collective open to the public. So we like to leave our doors open and... Um, you know, create to together. Often, we find ourselves meeting really young artists who are just starting out their career. So places like this are, are so important. So. Mm. What is the you know like end goal in the future? You know, in maybe in a time where you don't have to fight for your existence. What is the kind of dream for the collective? Well, I think we all, what's really beautiful about the collective is that we all have different goals. And I guess it's about supporting all of our individual goals within that space. Mm. So I guess for me, it's like being able to create a space um, as an artist that like I can, you know, create projects through and like work with other people through. Um, But I think it's also for me um, a space where we can both uh, create and kind of put out our art, but also a space to play and workshop and hopefully Mm. include the public in that as well to some Mm. extent um, and include just like the community or whoever wants to participate in ways that we can as well. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Free from the burden of paying crazy rents. Because <laughs> we can't do any of that when, when we can't afford it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just wondering, can you guys just give us like a sort of, I know I mentioned it when I introduced the interview, but can you just tell us like what it was like having, you know, basically given a very short amount of notice having to move buildings? Yeah, I mean, literally when when um, the, the community came through and saw, saw our closing down sign, um, we... Some of our, us as um, creatives in the space, we just walked in and saw a Felice sign out the front of our window. Like that's mm. how we found out that wow. we had to go. And that was a month to work out where we were going. So um, like, like it's just... I think Nina's also yeah. underselling the amount of initiative that she put in as well <laughs> yeah. to, All of to really do this. Sure. I think because I wasn't really in the previous studio, but it was even this thing of... Um, it was a beautiful experience of being asked to be a part of it in a way that I could help. And I feel yeah. like Nina's really good at that. And it was sort of in a way that we all felt like we were contributing. Um, but also, like, she was able to, like, give a whole bunch of people who didn't have space space as well. We like, I called so many different um, agents in the area being like, hey, we just found out we're closing down on, you know, they, they want more rent from us. So we're going to have to leave. Um, you know, your shop front's empty. Could we could we move in there? But I had to do, like, maybe 25 phone calls, um, no callbacks, and then one amazing agent, shout out, Andrew, um, <laughs> let us use their shop front too. And that's where we've now moved. So, yeah, like you said, literally mm. next door to the old place, so 196 mm. Bridge Road. But, yeah, it's been crazy, crazy times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how is, 
how is it now that you've actually moved? It's, uh, everything's everywhere and we're still setting up. I think we've got really big plans in the future. Um, but right now there's now five of us. So it's gone from 17 artists to five. Equally, it's really exciting, really exciting times. We're planning a whole yeah. bunch of new stuff and creating together um, still, which is such a big win for us. Yeah, I definitely think because I wasn't at the previous studio as much, I think I've been able to come in without as much sort of uh, grief and loss in it. So I've come in with a lot of excitement and I've I've been really enjoying how we've been like working on the studio. Um, and I think it's it's been really interesting kind of like uh, seeing how different people interact with the space, like even just like people from outside, like will look in or people will ask us sort of what's it, what it's about. And it is kind of cool figuring it out, I guess, at the moment as we're doing it. Mm. Mm. And is is this space, like, what is the situation with the rent in this space? Like, is it any more permanent than the last one? <laughs> no, sorry, we're, we're not laughing. We're laughing because we're sad. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, we're going month to month at the moment. Um, and a lot of artists across Melbourne will be doing the same thing. Um, but, yeah, part of our kind of bargain to get in there is like hey look if you find a better tenant paying more you can take the space so at the moment we're just doing month to month and hoping that um no one else over undercuts mm -hmm. us or what the word is there, yeah pays more um so in terms of stability mm. no it's not very stable mm. um equally we're just crossing our fingers and and going forth with confidence and and hoping that we will be there mm. Mm. And I think that's like, it's, I think overall, like the rental crisis is like, obviously it's affecting artists, but it is really insane how like, I know people just renting like homes or other studios for other creative endeavors where like uh, market prices are just keep on going up. And yeah. like, it's, and I know so many people who are on that month to month kind of contract and the amounts that it's been raised recently is like so crazy but it is really scary it is like a little bit anxiety inducing sometimes of like well this feels really great but like there isn't really a more permanent option yeah. that we can find yeah sure yeah it's really disappointing like just having to fight for your existence every month and not really knowing like you know obviously people need a place to live but also you know, like we want spaces where we can just play and make art and, you know, not have to just have every single shop be a place to spend money mm. mindlessly, you know. Um, I just want to talk about, like you mentioned, that the, the collective kind of reduced in size when you moved between spaces. How is it now between the five of you, now that you're in a different and smaller space mm, it's definitely smaller it's a it's a cute little hole in the wall we've made it look amazing though i will say i'm <laughs> really agree. impressed of us we are creative um uh you know and i should say the other members of the collective have also gone to the nicholas building which is another cool place that artists are finding cheaper rent um, but with the five of us now, I think it's, yeah, it's about being creative with our space and really using like literally every square inch of it. So we've got like a bit of a gallery up front, which looks epic. And then you, as you walk in and by the way, 
everyone is welcome to come anytime we're there. Mm. Um, as you walk in, you know, we've got like shoebox sizes of <laughs> where we are each creating our own thing, but then mm. we've also got a space where we can all collaborate for bigger projects. Mm. And we're also utilizing the car space out the back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, we're definitely using that beautiful building for as much as we, we can. Mm. Um, but yeah, it d- definitely has changed the the atmosphere like i'm like Crony was saying i think i'm still grieving um for the last uh building but yeah we're definitely hopeful and we're looking forward and mm. i think it's gonna be big yeah. yeah yeah what do you guys have in store for the new space um <laughs> I guess I'm just looking up. at Quinny. <laughs> well, she... actually, um, seeing as we are live on air, I would like to kind of shamelessly <laughs> on, plug. plug, it. plug um, it, I have a show for the Fringe Festival coming up called Quinny Cabaret. Um, so we're planning on doing a few launch events and promotional events through the studio. Um, hopefully, an opening which might be tied to that, but we might just do like our own grand opening kind we of might vibe. Do like an arty party, you know, welcoming yeah. everyone from the local area. Um, and yeah, I think there's just been so far so much community interest. So it's just mm. honestly really good to know that it's there, that we know that we have mm. it. And it sort of is now like, obviously I'm, I'm really invested at the moment in integrating my Fringe Festival show. But other than that, with everybody else, like I can't wait for everybody else to be putting out their ideas. Mm. And I think there is already, I mean, luckily with me, I think, um, I have the queer community, um, as such a backing. So mm. I already kind of feel like I have that, um, innate audience and and that's really beautiful but I also can't wait to see the audiences that these beautiful people are going to bring in Mm. um and the other kind of you know identities and communities that are going to come in I think it's going to be really beautiful yeah do you think the um community interest has come from like obviously I found about found out about your story by literally just walking on Bridge Road and and seeing the (laughs) sign like you know, we're being kicked out by a landlord. Um, <laughs> in red paint. In red paint. <laughs> Save us. <laughs> do you think Do you think that community interest has come from the actual physical signs that people have seen on the streets? Yeah, definitely. I think also, like, I have this thing on my social media so where I, I basically just say, like, come on down, I'll pop the kettle on. And it definitely has that vibe. It's not It's not just a, an art gallery. Like, yeah. we have to yeah. be quiet and silent. It's yeah. a space where, you know... We <laughs> hope to inspire other young artists to be like, you know, if, if you're interested in painting, come along with me. I've got a canvas up. Let's mm. do some together. And, mm. and that's really totally. the spirit of bad art. And I think with artists and queer people and generally people who are, um, have experienced difference or whatever, there is an innate kind of uh, yearning for that community and for that safe space. I mm. think um, there is a... a desire that I have of kind of the people who might feel a little bit weird or kooky, you know, mm. can all feel weird and kooky together kind of yeah. vibe. And I think the that's... Misfits. Yeah. And I think that just naturally creates community. I think that naturally brings in and that's a really um, yeah. inclusive kind of action is yeah. like, I, I, you're weird and I'm weird, let's be weird together <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And how is like having a space like that, how has that helped you guys? Uh, I mean, something that I say all the time when I first started out as a painter, but I think every creative can feel this, is that it's actually a really lonely um, job if you're alone or if you're trying to do it from your bedroom, if you even have the space for that. But I think coming into a collective, coming into an actual bricks and water space, you know, on your off days or 
when you're just lacking inspiration, you can just turn to the person next mm. to you and be like, hey, can we create something today? And there, there's just, it gives me goosebumps actually talking about it. There's something so beautiful in that, um, especially for young creatives. Um, but just anyone who's always just yeah. wanted to do something, but maybe not had the confidence. Like I do get the my confidence from the collective. Like even here with you now, mm. I'd be way too nervous to do this usually, but I'm doing it for, for the collective and with the collective. Yep. So, um, yeah, I think it's super important. Yeah. Yeah, and so going on from that, like I completely agree with that. I think there are a lot of times that I haven't even had the intention of creating, but then having that community or having Nina at the studio, we've been like, let's paint, let's draw, let's make a video, let's, and we change our art forms a lot because it comes out of, I'm comfortable with these people and these people want me to create and want me to do well. And I think that just like even before the art process, that is the start of the art process mm. a lot of the time is that mm. inspiration. And it's, it is really inspiring. It's really yeah. gorgeous. Especially good to have a space where it's not just like create and make money and yeah. then create again and make more money. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. So it's lonely and soulless. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that would only, you know, last you a couple of years, maybe if you're lucky, you know, you need your community around you. I think that's what we, I know mm. people splash around the word community a lot, but but it is really the driving force of bad art and what we do yeah. and I think what a lot of creatives around Australia and the world do. Yeah, so, yeah. sure. And how long, how long were you in the last space? Um, we were there for just over two years um, and that was month to month that whole time. So wow. we, got, we got faith that we're going to... I didn't know that. But yeah, yeah we're, we're cockroaches. We don't die. <laughs> we're going <gonna> to stay. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, let's, let's maybe start to wrap up um, I just want to talk about, yeah, how people can support the space and, you know, anything that you have going on for the two of you and the collective alike. I mean, we are creatives. We are chaotic. We're always doing something. So we do have um, an Instagram page, Bad Art Collective underscore. Yes. Um, Quinny's got her show, which I'm super excited and I really hope we all come out for, which is yeah. for the Fringe Fest. It's Quinny underscore Cabaret on social media and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we've, yeah, but basically stay on the Bad Art Collective page to see where all five of us are doing stuff because um, we're all doing pretty different, really cool stuff. Mm. <laughs> mm. Or if you're near 196 Bridge Road, come down. Um, and I do mean that, like, supporting us is just showing your face and, and having a chat. Like, yeah, and, if you're interested mm. in art, we want to talk. Like, that's cool. Um, and there's loads of artists around Melbourne. I can't stress this enough. There are loads of artists like us. We're not unique in that way. So if you've got an artist hub near you, pop in, say hi, if that's a gallery, if that's an artist studio, like immerse yourself in that world. Totally. Mm. And I guess also like don't be afraid to make bad art because yeah. that's how it all starts and, you know, mm. find the people that you like doing it with. <laughs> make bad art and take up space. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sweet. Well, thank you guys so much for talking to me and telling me your story. Thank you um, so much. Yeah, that was Nina and Quinny from the Bad Art Collective. You can catch them on, was it 196? 196 yep. Bridge Road. 196 Bridge Road. Um, Richmond. Richmond. Richmond, Sorry, I should Richmond. say. Um, <laughs> yeah, support the space and make bad art. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. You're listening to GCR 855 AM. Stay tuned with us. The Boite presents three songs for 3CR, an annual fundraising event that will see five community choirs joining forces to fill a night with song. 
Friday the 15th of September, 7.30pm at the Mark Street Hall, 1 Mark Street, Fitzroy North. Enjoy songs and tunes from Living Out Loud, Sonidos de Alma Spanish Choir, Guarani Men's Vocal Ensemble, Carl Panuzzo's Feel Good Choir and Mixed Drinks with Therese Virtue. Come along and support your local community radio station. Tickets via the website boite.com.au or follow the links from the front page of the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Palestinian fight isn't just the Palestinians' fight, it's all our fight because it's a fight not just about land, it's about a fight for freedom. Everybody should be standing here today saying, Free Palestine. Solidarity with our Palestinian brothers and sisters on behalf of the Bumbanja nation, my people who've never ceded their sovereignty. We should be recognising Palestine as a state and recognising the rights of Palestinians. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. We're going to be diving into a conversation by Elena Mountain from Dirt Radio, speaking with Jamie Lee Willoughby, who is a queer somatic sex educator and ceremonialist. So let's take a listen. You're listening to Alana Mountain from the Forest Collective, who's joined today by Jamie Lee Willoughby, who is a somatic sex educator, queer ceremonialist, with a passion for decolonizing gender and supporting wellness in the queer community. Welcome, Jamie. So good to have you here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about something I'm so passionate about. Yeah, me too. I'm so keen for this conversation. Would you be able to tell our awesome listeners today a little bit about who you are and what you're so G'd up about to be here for today? Yeah, for sure. So as Alana said, my name is Jamie Lee. I'm a somatic sex educator and queer ceremonialist. So essentially what queer ceremonialist means is I have a passion for creating sacred, intentional spaces that give people the opportunity to connect to the essence of their hearts in a, in a spiritual way and specifically to create those experiences for queer people. So to really be the bridge between spirituality and queerness to support the queer community in, in healing um, and evolving. And for me, that really started when I realized I was non-binary and my journey of becoming myself has been really spiritual. So I thought, hey, you know, I really want to use the skill set that I have to support other queer people in finding their own unique relationship to spirituality because I understand queerness to be so sacred and so spiritual. Mm, absolutely. And on that topic of, you know, gender queerness and fluidity what does that mean for you and how have you gone about you know deconstructing um those societal expectations placed upon you from birth yeah so I mean of course everyone's experience of gender is so unique so I mean with me I was always like I thought that I was revolutionizing what it meant to be a woman and so really pulling apart these societal ideas of womanhood but Honestly, it was like one day it was like creator just like hit me in the head and was like, what if you weren't attached to gender? I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) It all kind of happened really quickly and it 
happened at a time where I had like a, a bunch of male family members pass away and for the first time I felt um, my male ancestors really close to me and it was like their passing became this invitation for me to connect more to my masculinity and that meant uh, shedding a part of my gender identity and yeah just this question of uh, what would it feel like for me to move through the world as a genderless being and to perceive myself beyond the confines of womanhood and honestly it was like such a whirlwind and quite a psychedelic experience so I was like all right I'm shaving my head <laughs> and I'm starting again <laughs> figuring out who I am and how did it feel to shave your head and go through that initiation was it was wild because it happened so rapidly and as I mentioned before like you know being a spiritual person and having this understanding of having a relationship with creator or God or whatever you want to call it again it was like creator was inviting me and it's like creator was saying to me okay in order for you to learn these next set of lessons in your life that you've come here to learn this is what you have to do and so it was like, you know, my higher self calling to me, but then my present conscious self, you know, Jamie Lee was like, really, do I have to? But my hair is so beautiful and long and I've come to understand myself as being attractive because because I have this and creator was like, nah, it's got to go. So I had a ceremony and my loved ones were, were around me and cut off pieces of my hair and and shaved it and you know I was like all right guys I'm, I'm stepping into my new genderless form you know not having any idea of what that would mean for me but yeah really jumping off the ledge mm. there and just free falling into the gender abyss <laughs> yeah that's so brave and how were you received by people in your community and you know your family you're from such a beautiful you know strong African black yeah uh, family yeah, well, it was weird. I mean, I'm really open on social media. So even before I shaved my head, I just went live and I was like crying and I was like, guys, I think I'm non-binary. And in some ways I find it so much easier to speak to my phone and to be like a, a diary entry and let it all out. Mm. But then actually noticing I was aloof and avoidant to having these conversations in person and telling my family members and I guess this fear began to rise in me. How much of the love that I was given by others was based on this understanding of me as a girl or me as a woman. And, you know, if I shatter that part of me, um, can I still be loved? And even though, like, when did this happen? Like a year and a half ago, right, when I first started this journey. But even still now, I hold this fear and it's something that I'm yeah met with and still attempting to find my bravery I mean I only had the proper conversation with my dad about it last week wow yeah like like really you know I, I dropped little seeds and hints but for the first time last week I was like all right dad this is what I'm going through um so yeah pushing past that fear to like you know, feel courageous enough to actually be like, this is how I'm feeling, this is how I see myself and this is who I want to be. Um, but yeah, I received so much love and support from my family and yeah, within my community being one of the first people to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm non-binary, I want you to use they, them pronouns for me, is scary because I know that I'm educating people on something that they might not know anything about. 
Yeah, totally. And it must be at times challenging to have to continue educating and, you know, maybe even correcting and pulling up people when they are using terminology that doesn't land with you or doesn't make you feel connected to who you are and the person that you've realized within yourself. And I actually noticed on, <laughs> this is a good segue yeah, yeah. this video. <laughs> um, yeah, this really awesome video that I saw that Jamie Lee put up on her Instagram uh, like a week and a bit ago, yeah. which actually led to why I invited you into the studio today, mm-hmm. where you were talking about what um, it means for you to be cold by, you know, the correct, um, you know, words that feel good for yourself and also what it means to be within your expression and and how you want to be perceived beyond what aesthetic qualities that you're putting out in the mm-hmm. moment. And yeah, there was this one weird comment that was quite, um, yeah, just rejecting what it was that you were sharing mm. there. And yeah, receiving that must be difficult to, you know, yeah, navigate. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of, I have a lot of grace. And even actually just now you used her pronouns for me. Oh, sorry. Right. No, yeah. but it's actually it, understanding that language is so automated and so habitual and also separating the fact that like even you just now using this pronoun for me like doesn't change the way you perceive me like you've invited me here because you respect my views you respect me but I have a lot of grace for because I understand the the brain I understand how Mm. we work I understand that we're all in a process of of relearning even me I misgender myself all the time like I call myself a girl in my mind and I'm like oh how does that sit with me and you know I think like what this comment was sort of um reflecting to me is that some women feel that it can be attack on womanhood Mm. or that I think there's something wrong with femininity and it's like no like my prayer for each person is to feel so anchored and so fulfilled and so connected to the most authentic expression of their gender whatever that may be and just because I don't like being called a girl or like yas queen like doesn't resonate with me anymore doesn't mean that can't be a, a such a, such a rich source of empowerment for for other people. Um, so yeah, I really want to like dispel that myth that non-binary people are like against gender. I think what this whole movement is about is just giving people the invitation to reflect on their own sense of self and inquire like, oh, like who am I? What aspects of my gender are most authentic for me? And, you know, we should be able to say to anyone what we do like to be called. Like it's like setting that loving boundary of like, hey, this terminology feels really good for me to use, um, to be used for me. Um, so, yeah, like more of that in general, <laughs> whether it's about gender or not would be amazing. Yeah, totally. It's it's so funny that that just happened as well. You know, <laughs> it goes to show how deeply programmed and ingrained it is in our minds where it just slips out and you know even though I'm fully aware yeah. of what your pronouns are and we're here today discussing <laughs> this topic like it still happened yeah and I I remember there was a time where I'd be so afraid of misgendering people mm. but I wasn't intentionally doing it yeah. it's just because it's so heavily programmed mm-hmm. and it just happens on in, like you're on autopilot totally it can be really frustrating sometimes for both sides. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I noticed, like I get this like funny feeling in my chest when someone uses the wrong pronouns for me mm. or uses a word that I don't like. And with that feeling that I feel internally is like the invitation on my brain goes, 
are you going to correct them? And usually I'm like, no. My people pleaser is like, no. Because I don't want people to feel like they're wrong. Like I'm someone who loves avoiding personal conflict. Mm. Um, Yeah, and that's something that I've had to work through is really look at my people pleaser and be like, oh, can I like, can I correct this person? Like, no, they're not wrong. I don't want to bring shame to them. And even people have said to me, like, please, like, if I get it wrong, correct me. But there's something, like, inherently awkward. And I've spoken to other, you know, genderqueer people about this too, that, yeah, it's, like, really can be really difficult for us to correct people because it is a bit a bit awkward. Like, I don't want to be someone's, like, teacher, not all the time. So it is good when people notice themselves and and correct or, you know, if I've created a dynamic with someone, we can kind of like joking, like my mom's really good about it. Like she'll be like, oh, me and my, my daughters. And then I like give her a look and she's like, oh, my, my seeds. Oh, no, I told her to call me your seed. Like, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, we just, we can kind of make a joke of, and make it fun. Like, hey, what other words can we come up with that feel exciting? So it doesn't always have to be like, hey, you got this thing wrong. You know, it's like, let's expand our language. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think it's also really important that, people who want to be good allies to gender queer people they do that work themselves and that they don't feel a defense or that they're being attacked in the moment Mm. of being corrected because we're all just trying to learn to be better and to make you know our world safer with language and it shouldn't be this thing that we're we're trying to defend because we're actually Mm -hmm. just trying to learn and walk together. And that was Elena Mountain speaking with Jamie Lee Willoughby, who is a queer somatic sex educator, queer ceremonialist with a passion on how to decolonize gender. You can catch Elena every Tuesday from 9.30 to 10 a.m. on Dirt Radio. So now we're going to be heading to our last language for the show. So it's been 50 years since the coup in Chile. So it's we mark the 50th anniversary of Chile 1973. So joining me this morning is Pilar Aguilera, who is a our Tricia chairperson and also a longtime Chilean activist speaking about the Chile 1973. Good morning, Pilar. Morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. So Pilar, before we get into talking about the event happening tonight, can we just first get you to share about uh, what happened during the the day of the coup in 1973? Yes, well, uh, September 11 uh, has always been a day of mourning since that year for our community. On that day, um, it was uh, in the morning, the democratically elected president, Salvador Allende, was overthrown uh, in a US-backed military coup. Mm. So um, that day, uh, the Chileans woke up to... Uh, the bombing of the presidential palace called the Moneda Palace in Santiago. Mm. Um, and for anyone who knows Santiago, the Moneda Palace is quite a low building, so these Hawker Hunter jets um, had to fly really low to, to bomb this. And um, imagine the noise, the smoke, um, the fear. So um, that sort of started a 17-year dictatorship in Chile, which Mm -hmm. left many, many consequences, many dead, many disappeared, exiled refugees. Um, It was an incredibly brutal time in the history of Chile. Um, 
And, yeah, the, this is what we're uh, commemorating. It has to be said that uh, Salvador Allende and his government, the Popular Unity Government, were democratically elected and they were ousted by a US-backed coup. Um, so quite significant to remember these things. Uh, really important never to forget this history that still impacts us to this day. Mm, I see. And so it's it's been 50 years since the Chile 1973. What, what does this anniversary mean to you as a Chilean activist and to your community? How has it affected the Ch- your community? Well, um, it is a day, as I said, of significant mourning because um, aside from the overthrow of the government, um, 11th of September 1973 began uh, a brutal era of repression in Chile, persecution for political beliefs, for any anyone who thought different to the military regime, and it's something that's repeated around the world. Um, you know, dissenters, um, anyone showing resistance was um, persecuted, uh, imprisoned, killed, tortured, or disappeared. And this notion of the disappeared, it's not that someone simply vanished into thin air, it's that uh, somebody was taken, um, generally tortured, generally um, killed, but the remains and the whereabouts of those people were never divulged by the state apparatus. And so to this day, 50 years later, um, there are still families that are looking for their loved ones. Um, Interestingly, the Chilean government recently, in the last few weeks, announced that the state will now, um, 50 years on, take on the responsibility of looking for the remains of those people. Um, But it's, it's a significant impact for us because as a community, we are fractured, we're traumatized, there's a lot of healing to be done. Um, but there's also, if we look to the future, uh, a struggle still to come because we don't want these things to happen again, yet they have continued to happen in Chile under so-called democracy. Um, so, yes, mm. it's it's a complex thing. It's very painful uh, today. So, yes, um, that's, that's always been the case for our community since that time. Mm, definitely. And there were many... Chile people who arrived, Chileans who have arrived in Australia as refugees and exiles in the 1970s and 1980s. So how how has the activism been here in Australia for your pe- for your community, and how has Australia helped in helping your community? Oh, massively. Um, since uh, as soon as um, I heard someone say recently that resistance started on the 11th of September 1973 and that that form of resistance took many, many, many forms, um, both in Chile and outside Chile, because when people left the country, what we did was denounce what was happening in the country. Now, think of a time where there was no internet, there was no Instagram, there was no Mm. uh, smartphones. So information had to get out word of mouth, especially in a country where there was no uh, freedom of speech, there was no freedom of press, um, there wasn't those proper channels uh, to bring out the information. So um, generally we had to rely on things like 3CR, a famous example, 3CR set up in 1976 
was an amazing way to keep the community informed, not just the Chilean community, but at the time there were also dictatorships in Argentina and Uruguay and um, that Latin American cohort coming in all had programs on 3CR and for the Chileans it was a Friday night where it was a way to keep informed about exactly what was going on. But in terms of the solidarity movement in Australia, it was a huge solidarity movement um, headed by unions, uh, activists, um, all things we want to commemorate um, at tonight's event, which I'll talk to you a little bit later on about. But, yes, um, huge solidarity movement, huge activism, all denouncing the dictatorship. And, and I like to say that international solidarity around Chile was massive and it did help to bring down the dictatorship eventually in, in the late 80s, in 89, 90. Mm, I see. And so I guess now coming in, Coming into talking about the event that's happening tonight, as you have mentioned, do you want to share a bit about uh, what's happening tonight and what, what's gonna what 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 will there be? Yes, uh, before I say anything about the event, I want to just say that there are a series of events on today in mm. Melbourne. Um, it starts with a raising of the Chilean and the Mapuche flag at Trades Hall. Um, mm-hmm. So if you are either there around nine thirty or you're going past at any time today, you'll see the both flags will be at half-mast. Mm-hmm. At 12 noon, there will be a rally outside the US consulate in St Kilda Road mm-hmm. to denounce their US involvement in the coup. Um, at 2.30 at Trades Hall again, there will be uh, an opening of an art photo exhibition which will be in the foyer and that will be there all week for people to go and see. Mm. Um, and then tonight's event starts at six, where uh, the members of the Chilean community, along with the AMWU um, in in Victoria, in particular their International Solidarity Initiative, we're organising a commemorative event tonight at Trade Hall uh, with a series of speakers. Uh, there will be poetry. Uh, We're ending the night with some music, uh, but more importantly, too, there will be testimonies and some people will be giving their testimonies for the first time. So a very sort of moving and solemn event, um, but also a time of gathering. Um, Chileans don't uh, always gather as a community, and so it's important to gather. And, um, yeah, having all the different sectors that have been involved, not just um, the Chilean community, but long-time activists from Australia, um, union members, not just the AMWU, but the MUA, the CFMEU, the ETU, all traditionally have supported solidarity with Chile. So it's going to be uh, an amazing event tonight. If you can, get along. It starts at 6.30, but we're telling people to get there at 6, and it's at the Solidarity Hall. I see. And is there anyone we could contact just in case they need more information or guidance in regards to this event, Pilar? Uh, yes, you can go to Eventbrite and uh, mm-hmm. just type in Chile 50 Years. There's information there. Um, and the event tonight will also be live streamed. So mm-hmm. um, you can find that link on the Eventbrite page. Or you can find it on a Facebook event of the same name. It's uh, Chile 
50 years of solidarity and struggle. If you look on Facebook or that Eventbrite and type in those words, Chile, 50 years of solidarity and struggle, you'll get some information. But yes, it will be live streamed. Mm -hmm. One more thing to mention is that this Thursday on this very station, from 6pm to midnight, we will have uh, six hours of special broadcasting around Chile. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of uh, the events and speakers of Monday of tonight will be um, aired on Thursday as well. I see. That's really awesome, Pilar. Uh, so we are going to have to wrap up really soon. So we just, I just want to get one last thing from you. So um, in case if our listeners can't, not everyone will be able to attend these events happening tonight and listen or listen to the special broadcast. What do you want our listeners to remember in regards to this anniversary and how do you think we can further get involved and try to help to understand I think it's important to keep um, historical memory alive mm-hmm. and it's also important to note that um, the Chilean people are still fighting for democracy and better living conditions, uh, that the struggle is not just uh, rooted in the past but it continues to this day and events like these are radical events with real voices and so important to keep history alive um, and to educate the younger generations. So, yes, get along if you can or have a listen on 3CR or live stream. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Bella. It's been lovely having you. Thank you, Grace. And, yes, tune in on Thursday. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bella. And that was Pilar Aguilera, who is our 3CR chairperson and also a long-time Chilean activist speaking about the Chile, the Chile 1973, which is the 50th anniversary commemorating the coup that happened since, since 1973. So yeah, if you are free to please do attend uh, the event happening at 6 p.m., if I'm not mistaken, yes, yeah, 6 p.m. at Solidarity Hall Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street at Carlton. And of course, there's also just other series of events happening as well. There's one at 2.30 where there was a, that will open up. And yep, and there's also the flag raising at Trades Hall that will be happening in about half an hour about where the Chilean flag will be at half-mast outside the Trades Hall. So yeah, it's just a series of events happening today but the main one tonight is at 6 p.m so yeah if you want to attend you can go ahead for that but of course at the end if you are unable to go through all this tonight and today there's the special broadcast broadcasting about for about the chilean 50 year chile's 50 year anniversary at this thursday yep so yeah great show everyone today james and rob how are we all feeling fantastic mm. yeah that was a really good interview grace Thank you so much. Great work. Yep. And what y'all looking forward to this week ahead? Um, yeah, not a whole lot on my end, really. Um, as always, more um, more live music. I'm seeing a band called Terminal Sleep this weekend, which is a fundraiser for uh, a cat shelter in Preston. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are into that sort of music um yeah feel free to check it out how about you james i'm gonna i've been on a break from university for a while now but this week 
I'm going to start getting back into it. Oh, what, oh, what are wow. you studying? I was doing a PhD uh, last year on well-being mm. economies. So the idea that an economy should be structured to help people actually achieve well-being and not just make rich people richer. Uh, no one knows well. how to do that, though. <laughs> so that's why we're studying it. Uh, it burnt me out last year, though, so I've taken the whole year off. Uh, it's yeah. a big burden to carry. Yeah. Ooh. But, but, I'm back. I'm back. You're so back. I'll be doing a bit of research, a bit of reading. Mm. Not officially, but just starting to work up the muscle until I go back next year. Mm. So I'm very excited about that. I'll go to a cafe, mm. get a get a big old latte. Big old latte. Big old That's latte and do some work. <laughs> do you add sugar into your latte? Just wondering. No sugar. No sugar. I'm I, straight I, up coffee. Maybe it's just me or something, but I personally, I mean, I love lattes without sugar, not going to lie, but then I also think that having like sweetened coffee is something I much prefer. I don't know, just because like I'm very used to like the way I drink coffee mm. back in Malaysia and it's just like usually we put condensed milk. So mm. oh, um, yeah, yeah, but I know <laughs> I know that um coffee it shouldn't be with sugar, but yeah, it's just different culture. Yeah, you know, different cultures they have different ways I'm, of drinking. I'm glad we don't do the condensed milk here. <laughs> that would be the end of my life. Oh I my god. It would, it, it's actually it would good be bad. though. It's actually good it's though. Really oh, nice. it's beautiful. I love it's it. It's too good. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Grace? What have you got on? Um, well, I'm just going to be heading to uni f- and f- this week, only twice a week. But yeah, that's all I'm basically pretty much going to be doing. And yeah, just chilling, trying to hang out with my friends. One of my friends just came back from Malaysia. She's yeah. having a graduation this Wednesday. Hey, so yeah, looking wow. forward to that. Uh, my other, I have another friend who's also going to be there as well. Uh, yeah, they're graduating. Um, but they're graduating much earlier than me. I'm graduating at the end of the year, but they're graduating this week. So yeah, really happy for them. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. Mm. Well done to your friends. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. So yep, it's been great, everyone. We will stay tuned for next week and yeah, more exciting news and stuff coming up. Thank you, everyone. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.